Good morning, church. Got me on good and loud. I like that. Don't have to yell so much. I want to remind you about next week. Uh, we have two services. Both will meet in this room for Easter Sunday. Phil Robertson will be bringing us a nice, quiet, mild lesson, I'm sure. Phil, you ready to preach on the resurrection? You ready? All right. Not right now. He's starting to cut, get up and come down here, I think. Okay. But uh, also across the river at, uh, at our uh, church family, uh, at our other campus at university, Al will be preaching there. So you've got, you can invite them here at 8.30, there at 9, or here at 10.30. So uh, either way, there's a lot of places to bring people, and so we're excited about next week. I'm excited about uh, being here with you today. It's uh, one of those Gomer Powell surprise, surprise, surprise moments that you get to do every once in a while. Uh, it's been fun. I preached over at university this morning. I love the book of Galatians, and so I asked Mike if I could uh, join in, and he said, yeah, which is a great blessing. I want to give you a quick Mia report. I talked to Jace this morning, and uh, she's doing quite well. She was in intensive care the first night after her surgery. Uh, had a really rough night and first day. This this surgery that she's having, this particular one, is probably the most difficult in a string of surgeries that she'll have, of course, more in the future as well. Uh, and it was really hard. It's been hard on her. It's been hard on Jason and Missy. But Jace told me this morning she was doing much better. Uh, she's finally uh, eaten now today and drank a little bit, so she's feeling a lot better. He, he said to t- ask you or tell you uh, how much he appreciates the prayers. They felt them. They know that. They know the concern. And so, Lord willing, they'll be home tonight uh, and start this process through there. So just be sure and keep them in your prayers. And uh, she's a real trooper and a a real blessing in our family. If you want to go ahead and turn your books into the book of Galatians, chapter 4. You know, in the first chapter, Paul deals with them a little bit different than than he does in this chapter. Because later on in this chapter, he's going to talk about his relationship and his love and that. Earlier, he he just says, you foolish, foolish Galatians. And he gets on to them. For leaving the gospel, adding stuff to the gospel. Really, that's what they were doing. And then he asked to even rebuke Peter for his hypocrisy and not staying in line with the gospel. And he tells them, this thing is by faith. And so all this through chapter 1, 2, and 3 uh, is leading up uh, to what we're actually just more development of this same theme throughout the book of Galatians here in chapter 4. What I love about last week's lesson from, from Galatians 3.26 to 4.7 is that Paul really lays out the uniqueness of a son and a daughter. He's very personal in Galatians in several places, and this next text is one of those. And he says in verse 12, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You've done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. So he's giving a little bit of that reminder of what first brought him in their midst. Even though my illness was a trial to you, You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God or as if I was even Christ Jesus himself. See the love and the fellowship and the closeness that he describes? That's why it's hurting him so bad to see them go back under this legalism. And then this is the big question. What has happened to all your joy? So obviously, they're not as joyful now as they were when Paul knew them before. What has happened? What changed? That's what he's asking them. I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? So he's going to make a personal plea to them. Look, you were joyful. It was a pleasure to be with you. 
I mean, you gave me everything and helped me. And now it's like I'm telling you and remind you of this. It's like I'm an enemy. One of the favorite things when I talk to people outside of our fellowship that have been here, and I see them all the time, I say, well, I came to your church. I say, oh, what do you think? I loved it there. I mean, I felt so welcomed, and the spirit of the place was so exciting, and now I understand so much about your family. And you know what they're talking about? They're talking about joy. That's what happens when people are free in Christ. You see joy. I mean, I walk into some places sometimes, it feels like I walked into a deep freeze. Have you ever been there? Oh, boy. And you're just like, ooh, what happened here? The Spirit of God just, you know, left here, and this place become an icebox. Christianity is a place to be enjoyed. Even when we go through difficult times, that's what makes us different from the rest of the world. If we're not led by those things outside of us, but by Christ, we're going to experience wonderful joy. And we need to share that joy with others. Now think about how difficult this is for Paul. He has a great relationship with these people. He loves them deeply, and yet now he's having to correct them and remind them because they've lost their joy and they've lost their way, remind them to stay, stick with the gospel that he preached to them. And then, then he says, look, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You know, that's the most, one of the most difficult things. You find someone that you were, had a great relationship with in the past and you're close and you were friends and you loved each other and they, and they start getting away from the Lord and you sit down and you have that difficult conversation to, uh, to them to remind them of the gospel. And, then some, and, and they even get mad at you. And don't like the fact that, that you challenge their life. And you just want to say, look, I love you. Am I becoming your enemy now because I'm reminding you of this truth? Look, the world, I expect the world to be our enemies or treat us like enemies. We love the world because we want to see them right with God, right? But when we get up and preach the gospel, we're going to make some enemies. Phil, have you made a few enemies? You've got to make a few enemies when you preach strong about the good news. But look, when it's our brothers, we're trying to bring them back. It breaks our heart to think someone we love so dearly has left the very thing that saved them. Oh, they not only lose joy, they lose a whole lot more than that if they don't get called back to this good news. Do not go back there. You know, Stay with the gospel. It's what's first and Next thing it says is, why would you go back to old peer pressure? Because that's what happens. Some of these brothers there in the Galatian church, they started worrying what old brother so-and-so was going to say and old sister so-and-so was going to think about this. And that peer pressure became very strong for them. He said, those people are zealous to win you over. But for no good, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be jealous for them, these Judaizers. These people trying to take them back under law. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And to be so, and to be so always, and not just when I'm with you. So he said, I'm not against zeal. But we've got to make sure it's for the right thing. My dear children, from whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone. And now it just gets real personal, because I am perplexed by you. So he uses all these words, I can't figure out, I'm perplexed, I feel like you're being born all over again, and it's just like having to deal with infants again. That's what he feels like with these folks that he loves. And that shows you the power of this peer pressure. In this case, it was about legalism. But it's about a lot of things, right? You remember what it's like to worry so much about what someone else thinks of you? 
I remember when I was uh, in my prodigal wandering years, I was one of those kids that was hiding in plain sight. It was right here at WFR. I was sitting right with the youth group where everybody could see me. And in here I knew all the words to the songs. And so it appeared as if I was exactly the sort of young man I was supposed to be. But I really wasn't. And away from this place, I was living like the devil. And I remember, you know, I thought it was because of the influence of others around me. I believed the lie that I wasn't leading other people, but I was just being led astray. And I'll never forget how offended I was as a teenager because one of my friends, who I thought was the, you know, the big mess-up guy, and he was a big guy too, big bubba, and his mother called my mom and said, you know, I'm really worried about Alan's influence on bubba. And so, you know, I think they're not good together. And I thought, huh. Who does she think she is saying, I'm the bad one? He's the bad one, not me. Hey, can you point that somewhere else? Yeah, I'm pointing that right at you. <laughs> this guy. But think about that. I mean, here we were living for the evil one. I was involved in it day in and day out. And yet somehow in pride, I was thinking, don't look at me that way. I go to church and don't act like I should be there. I mean, what good was that? What a lie that Satan had spun in me. That even in sinfulness and arrogance, I was helping lead other people away and zealously doing it. That's exactly what was happening here. And it can happen to this day. You can worry more what somebody else thinks about you and your behavior than you worry about what the Lord God says in his word or in your own heart. You know it's not right. And yet still succumb to that pressure and then help lead other people astray. Jeff was telling me about when he was in the world. And he was going to this party, and he got there, and there was a, another brother from church. And when he saw him there, you know, it was that first moment, like two Christians in a liquor store. They look at each other, make eye time, they go, uh-oh. <laughs> and then they start thinking, well, you know what, at least we're both here. Who's going to tell about the other, right? So they find a certain security in that. And that's the way it was at this party, you know. And so without saying anything, they had made eye contact and realized that, you know. And then, but when he walked up to this, this young brother... What he said had a huge impact on Jeff. He said, we need you out here. And Jeff said for the first time he realized now that his decisions were going to impact a lot of other people. This fellow felt protection because another child of God was now out here in this lifestyle. Isn't that how powerful the evil one is and how he works so insidiously among us? So when we see this, Paul said, how could you go back and be zealous for that when you've got so much more? You know, peer pressure, that's kind of one of those things you talk about. Usually you hear it as teens, right? You know, everybody's on you about the, about the peer pressure thing. And then uh, your mom and dad, you know, they're on you and they tell you something like, well, I guess if your friend ran off there and jumped off a bridge, you'd do it too. You know, and you're like, oh, come on, don't make that argument. But the problem is we had just jumped off a bridge out Current River, you know, and uh, my brother and other people. And so what happens is, you know, it does cause you to do things you would never do. I was, I was real little. We stayed back home knee-high to a grasshopper. You know, I'm pretty small. And i uh, got two older brothers, and Mom throws us all in the tub together and the suds, and, and they're cleaned up, you know, uh, once a week or whatever we did. I'm sure it was more than that, but... Uh, anyway, so we're, we're in my oldest brother, Gary, says, oh, I can hold my breath under the water longer than you can. You know, so he goes in and they count, you know, or, or however we measure it, 1,001, 1,002, you know. And he comes up, you know, and Rick says, oh, I can beat that time, you know. So he goes under and he, he, we count on him and, and, and all of a sudden he comes up and he's spitting. And, he, and, and I'm the little one, you know, and I'm like, oh, I can do this. 
Except the thing is, I hadn't learned that art of holding your breath underwater yet. So I go like this. And, and I get and, and so then there's water, there's soap suds, and, and my brother Richard, he gets a washcloth, he tries to wipe out the suds. The more suds you wipe, what? The more suds there are, and that kind of happens. I pass out over the edge of the tub, and I know my brother must be thinking he's going to get in trouble because he hollers at, to get my mom and says, Please don't let him die! Please don't let him die! She comes in there and grabs me by the feet and shakes me, you know, and trying to, uh, I think she actually ended up taking me out on the front porch shaking me. I never want to face those neighbors. <laughs> but, you know, wait a minute. Now, why do you do something like that? Even at a little age, we learn that peer, that pressure of those around you. There was a whole crowd in Acts, and they were ready to just call upon them, Lord. And then the next day, they're picking up stones and trying to kill them because some people came in and influenced a whole crowd of people. The pressure, look, if you want to be zealous for something, he says, be zealous for the gospel. And don't let people influence you by their zeal for something else, one way or another. Do not let them take you back by the pressure of the group around you. You stay the course. So Paul asked the questions, why go back? Why go back? Why go back? And I believe he gives the answer with this allegory that he closes out this chapter with. I believe his answer was, you know why the reason they would go back or we would go back? Because we really believe that we need to give God just a little bit of help in our salvation. You know what? I mean, God, you're doing great. We trust you and all, but we could just be helping out a little bit. Look what he says in the text. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written... That Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. And what he's talking about there is Abraham receiving a call in Genesis chapter 12 when he was 75 years old. I don't know about you, but that's not really the age you think about people starting a new career and launching out. And yet that's what he, exactly what he was called to do by promise. He would be the father of all nations. And at this time, he had no kids, which is pretty amazing. Ten years go by, and God makes a covenant with him. Now he's 85 years old, and he's still waiting. He says, look, because of this covenant, a son will come from your own body. And so here he and Sarai were, and they weren't having any kids. And they thought, well, you know what? God has given us this great promise, but let's just help him out a little bit. After all, didn't he say it would come from your body? And so she offered up Hagar, who was her maidservant, to be now a wife that would bear Abraham a son. So that was the plan. Sounded pretty good. The moment was right, and they had a child. The ordinary way. Thirteen years later, he's 99 years old at this point. Everything's going great. God comes in and says, all right, now we're going to institute circumcision, this physical mark. Perfect. Got my 13-year-old son here. This is going to be the guy. And God says, wait a minute, Abraham. At 99... I got news for you. Remember that promised son? He's coming next year with your wife, Sarah. Now, Sarah, by the way, her name, Sarah, of course, means princess, but Sarah meant contentious. So she wasn't too happy at all to hear this, and she's wondering, how is this possibly going to happen at my age? You know what God said? By my promise. Not by your work and your help and your providing. I appreciate that, but that's not the way it's going to be. 
That was the promised child. These things may be a woman. These things may be uh, taken figuratively, for the woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. And by the way, this is a great argument. Because these Judaizers, they wouldn't have recognized Hagar at all. They would have said, our mother is Sarah. But Paul said, no, no, no. You want to put yourself under law? You're putting yourself under Hagar and Ishmael. It's a brilliant argument, by the way. Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia. and corresponds in the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. He's talking about Sarah here. She had a child of promise because it was by God's power, not by her power. At that time, and he says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. And I would say today it is the same to this very day. That fight to put ourselves under our own control instead of the control of Christ. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And you know how Abraham was put to the test about this very thing in Genesis chapter 22? Once the safety net of Ishmael was gone, he said, I want you to take that son, Isaac, the one I promised you, the one I brought by my power, and I want you to take him up on that mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham loaded him up on the donkey and went up the mountain and told the people with him, said, we're going to go over here and have a little church service and we'll be back. And the Hebrew writer said, Abraham reasoned to the resurrection of the dead. He was going to kill Isaac because he believed God had the power to raise him from the dead. That's how powerful the promises of God are. Now, are we going to live today under that sort of promise? Or are we going to put ourselves under anything else that's outside the power of God? Why would we want to? We believe in a God who can raise our dead bodies from the ground. That is power enough for me to live for him. And I don't ever want to go back to trying to do it myself. And that Abraham kind of faith, Paul writes in Romans 4, is the kind of faith we're to have. To trust God's word when he gives it to you. He's the one that will make it happen. And to believe it without wavering, in spite of the contradictory circumstances around you, you still believe the promise of God. And you trust Him. That's what Abraham did. So when you walk out of here today, then, then make sure you say, I'm, I'm not going back to that old lifestyle. I'm not going back to depending on other gods. I'm not going back to how I used to live. I want to be in on this thing of the promise. That means you have to trust in His grace. You have to trust in His promise. You have to trust in His adoption that made you sons. And you have to trust in His love. God has done more than enough to take care of your sins through this one called Jesus. The one that died, was buried, came up out of the grave, left it empty, went back to heaven to help you today when you walk out of here. And one of these days, He's coming back again. That story never gets old. And it's the only one we depend on. Galatians 1. If anybody changes that, let them be accursed. We're sticking 
with the gospel. And we're asking you, are you ready to stick with it too? If you have a need today, would you come while together we stand and sing?